Hey everyone, I'm Rob Lee, and this is Beloved Journal. It's a podcast centered around the radical idea that we should love and be loved in more than just a romantic capacity. My co-host, Mandy McDowell, and I seek out people we have come to admire or wish to know more about and talk about their hopes, their dreams, their challenges, and how they deal with their despair. All of this is through the context and lens of loveliness. The poet Galway Cannell said that sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness. If you need to relearn or reshape your conception of love and the abundance therein, this podcast is for you. Hey everybody, this is Rob Lee for Beloved Journal. Mandy is off on vacation this week, and uh, I'm kind of bummed for her because I know she wanted to be a part of this interview, but nonetheless, we went ahead with it, uh, and I'm really excited to have on the show my friend, uh, Dr. Caroline Lewis. Uh, Reverend Lewis is the Marbury E. Anderson Chair in Biblical Preaching at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, where she has taught since 2007. She's the director of the famed program, uh, the Festival of Homiletics, and she's chair of the Homiletics and Biblical Studies section of the Society of Biblical Literature. With degrees from Luther, Luther Seminary and Emory University, uh, she is one of those people that just has all the answers. Uh, as an ordained Evangelical Lutheran Church of America minister, uh, she's also one of those people who is wise enough to let you know uh, how to preach well, how to think about preaching, homiletics is a fancy word for preaching, and how we can all do it in a way that is fitting for our time. Uh, so with that said, let's listen in to Dr. Caroline Lewis. Dr. Caroline Lewis, thank you so much for coming on Beloved Journal. I am really delighted to be here. Thanks so much. One of the things that I think about with you that is so fascinating is you basically live, eat, and breathe preaching in your professional work. That's what you do. So you teach preaching, you, you kind of curate the Festival of Homiletics, which is this huge preacher convention. So with all that said, what makes good preaching today? I think the key to good preaching today is biblical. You probably knew I was going to say that uh, because my title is uh, Professor of Biblical Preaching. And there are a lot of people out there who say, uh, well, what other kind of preaching is there? Well, there's a lot of other kind of preaching out there that there's a, a tangential relationship or reference to the Bible. And then off preachers go into their own stories or their own reflections and commentary and the text is left behind. And I think now the key to good preaching, it's always been this way, but I think particularly now is the way in which the preacher is able to show how our lives as believers, as persons of faith, as, as expecting God to be up to things in the world, that making sense of our lives doesn't make sense without scripture that we need that lens, that we, that we turn to that lens through which we see these encounters with God that people have had. That's really all the Bible is, right? Is that it is, it is testimonies to witnesses of God's presence in the lives of God's people. And that it is through those stories that we see, oh yeah, that's how that's how God shows up, or I can relate to that. And it's that encounter or that witness or that 
reflection or that testimony that we read and we see and we say, that helps me, that, that, that helps me put into perspective and make sense of what I'm experiencing in my life and in the lives of people around me. And so it's that connection. It's saying that the, that the Bible is not, not just a reference point or not just a source for our preaching, but the very, the very lens through which uh, our lives make sense, especially if we claim to be believers in God. So, so that's interesting because like when, when I travel around and I talk to preachers and I hear preachers kind of bemoan the art of preaching and the work of preaching right now, one of the things they say is they feel that sometimes it's irrelevant, like, like there's an irrelevancy to their preaching. Well, people come for the music or the community or the, or the, the, the identity of being an Episcopalian, Lutheran, Presbyterian, whatever. So, so I'm curious, you know, we, we've got to listen to these sermons and we've got to listen to, to what people are saying when they proclaim God's work in the world through biblical preaching. How can people be better listeners uh, to sermons that might be biblical, like you're saying? I mean, because it might be easier to listen to those tangential kind of, you know, well, here's three points and a poem and a story that, <laughs> that really makes it, sums it all up and puts a nice bow on it so we can get to lunch. Mm-hmm. How do we listen to biblical preaching in a way that is both edifying to us and edifying to God's work in the world? I think it's being open to and expecting. It, it, it takes actually a kind of a relationship, I think, with the preacher and the preacher's congregation to say that that the preacher is communicating that these texts matter. And so when that gets communicated, then the listener is like, well, how do they matter? And in what way do they matter? And it means listening for a trust in this passage, a trust in this text, a willingness to take a deep dive into what is going on, a deep regard and respect for the particular voice uh, and the particular perspective that that biblical author is sharing with us. And so it, it means, it means, as I said, it means a a kind of listening that is listening for that regard and respect for that particularity. It's a listening for a a kind of trust in these stories that says uh, these, these texts are relevant because, and these stories are relevant because they are, uh, they are testimonies to God's, uh, God's revelation. And it's also a, it's a, you're listening for an invitation, I think, to for that for you to say, how am I adding to this? In other words, like how am how is my story adding to the canon? Uh, if if I were going to be included in these witnesses, what would my story say? So that so that I'm coming alongside these uh, these stories that I hear in scripture, and I'm adding my own experience. I'm adding my own testimony of my encounters with God and that we're in dialogue together. I'm not just taking this story and applying it to my life. 
right? That, that, that there's a kind of engagement and conversation, a back and forth and a dialogue that, uh, that, the, that scripture is a conversation partner. And so you can't just kind of leave it behind or to say it's just a, a jumping off point for my own story, but we're constantly going back for it. So I think that's what, we, that's what we're listening for, which means, a, which means a certain kind of preaching, right? That, that, that does that, that opens up that space, that invitation for dialogue and conversation that, that suggests uh, an inherent trust in these texts. And that, uh, that, that says, this is, this is a trusted, uh, this is a trusted collection of, of witnesses or testimony that we're, we're invited to be in constant dialogue with. So I think that's the, that's the kind of framework that, uh, that I hope we're listening for and that I hope preachers are, are presenting in their preaching. So, you know, you teach preaching, which is, 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 is a little different from just, you know, standing up on Sunday. It's different from standing up on Sunday morning and proclaiming in a way that is that, that, that we all hear regularly, um, at least in, in, in this field. One of the things I'm curious about is stylistic and cadence and all that stuff. You know, I, I had a, prof a professor at Duke, Chuck Campbell, who I think the world of, who told us preaching is like jazz, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that you've got, you've got all these components and you bring them all together and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. How do you, how do you tell your preaching students to stand up and proclaim Christ crucified, risen and coming again? Because that is, that is a daunting task for a first time preacher or, or for someone who is not as seasoned as say you are in preaching uh, God's word. So how do you tell them to deliver a sermon uh, mm -hmm. that, 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 that people are going to listen to? Mm -hmm. It starts with, do you actually believe it? I, it, it? It really starts with, you can't stand up there and, and spout off, I guess, sort of like default theological claims or doctrinal things that you think people will believe in. Uh, like, you know, like you said, Jesus Christ died, you know, died on the cross or Jesus died for your sins. Well, that's all great and wonderful. And I believe that, you know, and Jesus rose again on the third day. Yeah. But, but, uh, but is that really what the text is about? Like, is that, is that really what this particular text is communicating or what is it about? What is it about God's revelation and uh, and our faith in God in the intricacies and 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 specifics about that? And so you actually have to believe it. Like you have to believe what you're saying. Now that's hard to do every week because sometimes you don't believe it, right? But but there's something in this passage that rings true to you that 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 touches your heart that says. Yes, this is who God is, so that you can stand up with a kind of, of conviction and a kind of, of truth-telling that's a truth-telling about our own human condition, but it's also a truth-telling about God's response to that. But Because if you don't believe it, nobody's going to believe you. And uh, so that's, that's, I think, where it starts. And and that whole package deal, as you were talking about, is 
is it's it's recognizing that it's not just what you say, it's not just the claim that you're making, but how you say it. And that becomes the believable moment. It's not, it, I tell my students this all this time, you can, all, all the time, you can stand up there and make, you know, make a claim about God, a theological claim, but uh, is your, is your affect or your delivery or how you say it counterintuitive to that? And so your, you know, your sermon is not done once you've printed it out and, you know, and you're, and you're and like, okay, I'm good to go. Then it's like, well, how am I communicating this? How am I communicating this that is actually uh, congruent with what is being said? And so that, that believability has to happen, not only in a, in a trust in the claim that you are making for this time and this place and these people. That's the other thing, right? You can't, you're not making a claim for like all eternity. <laughs> Amen. That you're, you're making a, a specific claim, a statement, a focus, you know, a, a, a declaration about God that is for this moment in time uh, that your people need to hear. And it's, it's, and other people maybe don't need to hear. Or uh, you'll say something different the next Sunday, but it's what they need to hear this Sunday. And just focusing on that, you're not, you're not making the end-all, end-all interpretation of this passage. Uh, you, are, you are making, a, you're connecting this passage to these people at this time. That's all you're doing. And, and believing that that's what they need to hear. Uh, and not what another place needs to hear or not what another preacher needs to say. And that, that you are doing it in a, such a way that's believable. You know, sometimes preachers get really, especially beginning preachers, get really nervous about the delivery or the performance. You know, I don't want to manipulate or I don't want, you know, sermon preaching is not a performance, but it is in the classical definition of what it means to perform. Perform means to bring something to completion. Uh, it, perform means to, uh, it, it, like a musical piece, right? It, a musical piece doesn't really exist. It exists on paper, but it doesn't really come to life until it's performed by a musician and interpreted in a moment. That's what a sermon is. It doesn't come to life until you, in all of you, your entirety of who you are embodies it in a moment. And so that's part of the, that's part of the trust factor. That's part of the believability is that you've embodied this message in this moment with your, with, you've performed it with all you are and who you are uh, that's why we're so exhausted after preaching, right? We should be anyway, if we're bringing all of that to bear uh, in the preaching moment. Yeah, those Sunday naps are the sacred uh, <laughs> <laughs> sacred part of preaching for me, Absolutely. at least. Absolutely, yeah. I, I'm, I'm really glad you brought up embodied preaching because um, I take very seriously what I do with preaching. And I know many preachers across our country and people who will listen to this podcast take preaching seriously. One of the things that is continually frustrating for me is I consider you to be a great preacher. And I have many uh, 
female friends who are considered great preachers. And yet because of their embodiment in their bodies, mm-hmm. they are not acknowledged as being able to preach in some churches across this country and across the world. Um, while, while we could get into the intricacies of the arguments against that, I just want to say I'm really frustrated by that because some of the best preachers I've heard have been women uh, who have proclaimed that I have seen the Lord, like just as Mary did, the first preacher in a sense. Yeah. So, so yeah. Could, you, could you maybe speak to the, the frustration, but also the, the, the places of grace that you may have seen as an embodied woman who is preaching the gospel um, in a world that may not always accept that? Yeah, great question. You know, the, the ongoing frustration, I think, is not so much not so much the sort of overt claims about uh, person's convictions with regard to, well, women can't preach because it says in the Bible and that sets off a whole other, other you know, <laughs> possible conversation and dialogue about what is the Bible and why pick those verses and not other verses. Uh, you know, why are you looking at those verses and not, as you said, Mary Magdalene at the tomb, I have seen the Lord without whom we would not know that the tomb was empty, you know. And so I think my, fr- my, my frustration ends up being not in those overt claims, but in the, in that, the subterranean assumption that, uh, that, when we say that half of the population is, for whatever reasons, not worthy or should not be preaching the word of God, then you're making a claim about God that you're not acknowledging. First of all, you're not fully believing in the incarnation and that God, the word became flesh not the word became man. John could have said that. No, the word became flesh. God happened to come in a male body, but there's, I think, an intentionality of the word became flesh. And and are we fully living into that that promise and that, that, that reality of God, that embodiment of God? So you're making a claim about God that's actually challenging and questioning, I think, the incarnation. And I'll never forget, and another thing that, another theological assumption that's being made there that frustrates me is, uh, I'll never forget at a festival of homiletics when Otis Moss the third said, and it was the most obvious claim in the world, but you know how you're just like, whoa, it just blows your mind. He said, when the church does not ordain women, it is only operating at 50%. So when, when we say those, the frustration is when we say those kinds of things, you're actually working against the full potential of God's reign, the full potential of God's kingdom. Uh, you're, you're actually calling into question John 3.16, which everybody loves, for God so loved the world. How is God going to love the world if it's own, if it's church, if God's church is only operating at 
So, so the way in which we are truncating that vision of God, we are truncating that love of God. So those are my frustrations. And that it's not so much like the daily, like, oh, you shouldn't preach because you're a woman, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I, I get over that pretty quickly. But it's those theological assumptions that we don't name. That this is, this is who you believe God to be. Really? Wow. <laughs> why, why would you believe that about God? Uh, but the grace in it, the, 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 the wonderful aspects of preaching as, a, uh, as, a, as someone who identifies as female or as a woman is time and time again, in my experience, the ways in which that has opened up um, space, uh, invited invited people who never, women in particular, who had never really saw themselves as integral to God's mission and vision, invited them to see themselves in that proclamation. Because, because as we know, historically, uh, the way in which uh, in church hierarchies, biblical interpretation uh, has been patriarchal, dominated by patriarchy. And so, and, and the ways in which that is still so operative in how we structure church, how we uh, talk about God, uh, how we, how we do biblical interpretation. And so, uh, so opening up that one little uh, glimpse <laughs> into, wow, this is what it can mean to experience God I can experience God in my body. My voice is, is heard as a testifier of, God, of God's work in the world. Uh, and there's, there's, there's so many of those stories that I could share that where people come up to me afterward and say, you know, I've never, I've never heard of that before, or I've never seen, uh, I've never experienced the way in which God's word can sound in a different body or from a different voice. And those are the, those are the encounters and those are the experiences that uplift me, uplift me and give me hope. You know, my, my wife and I just adopted two daughters. Uh, they're four and two. And my four-year-old told me that she wanted to be a preacher one day. And I was so, first of all, I was like mortified because I don't ever want her to have to go through anything close to what I had to go through. But, but, but also I was like, you know, I am going to make sure she has every possible avenue to do that if that's something she ends up doing. Uh, mm. Because, you know, I think there's so much to be said about people, um, you know, proclaiming and preaching. It, it, it's a valuable um, tool in our society. It's a valuable part of, of the church mm -hmm. and it's an important part of the church. And it, and it's important about, you know, re regardless of whether, you know, whatever the phobia or the ism is, we need to get past that so that people can be enabled and, and encouraged to preach. Mm -hmm. um, one of the ways that you do that certainly is through the festival of homiletics. I mean, that is like preacher convention uh, every year it is the, yeah. you know, it's the, it's like a sci-fi convention for preachers, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I, I love it. I got to do, participate one year when you guys were in Washington, DC. Why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about what y'all do and, and how, how you go about it and what's in store. I don't know if you've, I don't, I haven't seen what you, maybe you haven't released it. I don't know what's in store for the next, next time and what we can look forward to. Sure. So yes, the festival of, of homiletics is uh, now almost in 30 years. 
and uh, and Luther Seminary, and and I'm the program director, which means that I, uh, along with the founding director David Howell, tap uh, preachers uh, that we want to bring to this uh, to this conference, as you said, a sci-fi conference for so for preachers. Fundamentally, it's a it's an opportunity to nourish preachers, right? To bring bring those preachers who are day in and day out preaching every single Sunday, to bring them together to celebrate the craft, uh, to uh, to be nourished and fed from these from these preachers. Uh, to think about preaching, because how often do we really get to do that, right? In that, in that weekly, uh, that weekly reality and the demands of parish life. When do we get to step back and say what this what this means and what this looks like, and and how can I get better at it? And and like you said, it's it is it is the most and I, I it is the most important thing we do. Um, it is a moment of leadership. It's a moment of biblical interpretation. It's a moment of, 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 of telling your people that they are theologians too. It's a, it's a moment of public theology uh, to say that the Bible matters, that faith matters in our, in our lives. And so that's really what it is. That's the Festival of Homiletics. Uh, bringing, and we try very, very hard to bring in diverse voices like you said, uh, when when we were in in DC, you were there, so we want to tap into you. Like local voices, diverse voices, we're really working hard now to bring a more international uh, flavor to the festival. We have been online, of course, the last two years, which means that what does that look like going forward? Uh, now that we have a, a much more of an international participation. Now we're saying, okay, who are the preachers in the UK? Who are the preachers in Africa? Where, 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 where do we need to bring these and increase that diversity, uh, increase these, these uh, voices that we get to come together and hear. And uh, next year we are, and usually about 1200 people show up and um, we have some of our favorites, but we always have our new voices uh, that are present. Uh, next year will be in Denver in person, but it will also be a hybrid uh, version so that we'll have a live stream recordings uh, as well as the in-person event because people do like to come together and, and be together uh, in those spaces. It's in Denver and the theme is this, uh, this next year, life or faith after the storm, preaching and trauma. So it's, it's taking seriously and intentionally that what we've been through in the last uh, 18 months is not an anomaly. Uh, it, it, it brought forward the fact that trauma is a part of our daily lives. Uh, and, and do we as preachers acknowledge that and preach into that as much as we should? And that the trauma of what we have experienced in the last 18 months is not going away anytime soon. Uh, it's, it's going to be trauma recalled and relived. And so that is the theme for, for Denver is to, uh, to, th to think about how does our preaching speak into trauma and, and, and give hope and trauma and make the claims of God's presence in trauma. So that's the, that's the festival next year.
Denver is such a fun city too. Yeah. It'll, yeah. it'll be such fun. Yeah. Um, so, so we ask this question of everybody who comes on the podcast, since we're kind of focused on like churchy loveliness, kind of reteaching loveliness to bo- borrow from a poet Galway Canal. I'm curious, what or whom do you find easy to love? Mm, what or whom do I find easy to love? Huh? Okay. The first thing that comes to my mind is my children. Uh, I have two Mm -hmm. boys and I, they're 19 and 21. They're at these just fascinating ages. Uh, And they're, they are easy to love because they are, I mean, loving, loving is, you know, loving me. Parenting is really, really hard work, right? Amen. (laughs) Really, really, really hard work. Uh, And they go through all of these stages and changes and, and I've always been one of those parents that uh, I, I was okay to let the former stage go because because they just move into this next this next stage of with, with all kinds of curiosity and resilience and and amazement and wonder and you're just like you feel like you're on the edge of your seat. What are they going to do next? What are they going to say next? And that's why they're easy to love for me because it's I love their. I love even in the face of what they've had to uh, the challenges they've had this last year of transitions and no graduations and and having to suspend school because of the pandemic and put on hold their lives. I I I love their hope. I love their resilience. I love their truth telling. Uh, I love that they uh, that they that they see the world and they name the the hard truths. Uh, I love the relationship that constantly is um, challenging, but also just so life-giving. So uh, yeah, I would say my dog, but I don't have a dog anymore. <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. I, I saw that online. I'm so sorry. Oh, well, that I, I lost my dog a couple of years ago and I was pug sitting this week. Oh, so okay. I, you know, yeah. Okay. But, that's uh, what that was. Yeah, well, that's what maybe that it's was. time to find a friend. A furry I might friend need to find and, another furry yeah. friend, but it's my children because yeah. I see in them just this, uh, this, yeah, this, I love them for the ways in which they move about in the world. Mm. Mm. Uh, and that is a, a gracious gift to me. Dr. Lewis, thank you so much for coming on beloved journal. It was really wonderful to be with you. Thanks so much. Beloved Journal is hosted by Rob Lee and Mandy McDowell. Our theme music is by Mipso, the best band in the world. The podcast was the vision and idea of Stephanie Lee, who continues to produce the show. And Frank the Poodle said I would be remiss if I didn't remind you to check out our website, www.belovedjournal.com.